Hey everybody, this week's episode, Dr. Michelle Tubman and I talked about changing the conversation in the culture and in women's heads about their bodies. And we talked about whether she's a doctor. She knows the answer to this question. Are bigger bodies necessarily unhealthy just because of their size? And the answer happens to be no. We all know some thin people who are not necessarily healthy. We talked about so many ways in which the culture makes it hard for women, any size women, to just be okay with their bodies if it doesn't look like the cultural norm. Really enlightening. Of course, we touched on the weight loss drugs, the semiglutids, because you can't not talk about them these days when you're talking about weight. And it was an all-around hopeful conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope you will, too. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. I'm Greg Cox, your host, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline or irrelevance. Nonsense. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. Each week, you'll hear experts who think and practice outside the box of conventional wisdom on how to age in good health so you can live fully expressed. I'm here to bust myths, help you embrace change, and live life your way. If you feel like the best of life has passed, it's time to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, I have a physician, Dr. Michelle Tubman. I'm just so looking forward to this conversation. I think it's a really important one because we're talking about the body and our relationship to the body, the way we see the body, how others see our bodies, what health really means in a body that doesn't look like how people think the body should look. So grab yourself an adult beverage or a cup of coffee or some water, get some note paper, pen. Dr. Tubman, thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you. And call me Michelle, please. Okay, Michelle. So Michelle, you are not only a physician, you're a health coach. Mm -hmm. And you don't believe that dieting is the answer to health. It's certainly, I can speak from experience. I had 17 magazine skinny girls posted on the refrigerator when I was growing up. <laughs> Every diet, the grapefruit diet, the skim milk, and banana diet, whatever it was, I was never skinny enough. Then that turned into a pretty bad relationship with food on and off for many years. Um, so although I didn't have a problem, I was heavier than I am now. I didn't have a problem of obesity or ill health because of my weight, but it was the mental and emotional problems that mm -hmm. colored how I did things, how I showed up in the world. And that is something that you work with women on, how they see themselves. I think that there's probably a personal story in how you got here. Would you like mm -hmm. to share that? Oh, of course. You know, there, there's always a personal story. So I am a woman that has struggled with her weight since I was a teenager. And of course, when I look back at pictures of myself when I was 19, 20 years old, I look freaking fabulous. But at the time, <laughs> all I could see myself as was that, you know, proverbial fat girl, not fitting in because of my body, not looking like other girls' bodies, looking at magazines. There was the magazine called 16 at the time. I don't know if you remember it, but I, I would flip through that magazine and see bodies that looked different than mine and automatically assumed that my body was wrong or bad in some way. And I carried that through with me right up into my adulthood. And so I was at a medical conference 
just before the pandemic, I think the year before the pandemic. And I was in my, you know, mid to late forties at the time. And this was a conference for women medical leaders. And in addition to my clinical job, I also hold a leadership role in my hospital. And so on the last day of this conference, they were giving out awards to women who had met certain milestones in their leadership career. And this was something I really aspired to. And I was sitting at a table with my mentor and I noticed that all of the women who went up on the stage to get their award were thin. Mm. And I turned to my mentor and I mentioned to her, like, do you see that they're all thin? And she didn't even notice. Mm. And so I went back to my hotel room and I bawled because never before had I been more aware of just how much I hated my body. Mm. And when I saw those women on the stage, I thought I can never win this award because one, I'm too fat. And two, if I did win the award, I would be too ashamed to go on stage in this body to receive it. And three, how come nobody else noticed? Mm. <laughs> and so that really made me take a look inside and how I viewed my body and how much it was holding me back. And from that realization that day, I started noticing not just how many times over the course of a day that I was hating on my own body or holding myself back out of fear for how others might perceive my body, but I noticed just how much time I was spending stressing out about how I should eat, how much I should eat, when I should eat, what happens if I eat bread, what happens if I eat fat, like and constantly, you know, worrying and thinking about how my diet or the way that I was feeding my body was 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 going to affect me, and you know. Um, <laughs> I am a full-time physician. I run my coaching business. I have my leadership role at the hospital. And if you take into consideration all this time that I was spending worrying about food and my body, just how much more enjoyment I would have in my other roles and how much more effective I would be if I could just, you know, free up that brain space. And so that's really what got me started on um, my coaching business really was was this idea that I've got to help women stop obsessing so much their bodies and really begin to enjoy life. Well, congratulations for you taking that on and getting there and now helping yeah, other you. women. So do you think when you were, before you had this awakening, do you think that your struggles with your own body colored how you related to your patient women who may also have had more weight than they wanted, call it what you want? Mm -hmm. So yes, and no, I'm being a little bit ambivalent there because as physicians, we get next to no training in weight management or nutrition or lifestyle medicine in general in our medical training. And I point that out because what that means is so many of us come out of our medical training holding the same views that the culture around us has. Mm -hmm. And those views are that being in a bigger body makes you automatically less healthy, much more likely to develop heart disease, diabetes, other chronic diseases, and that you're also just not as beautiful as somebody who would be in, in a thinner body. And so I carried that bias out of my medical training into my relationships with patients as well. So even though I lived in a bigger body in the first few years of my practice, I would still advise women, you know, if you have weight, if you have knee pain, really you should just, you know, lose some weight and that should help. If you have pre-diabetes, well, really you should just, you know, lose some weight and that will help you, you know, prevent diabetes. 
And it wasn't until I had that aha moment about my own body that I was able to see just how misguided that whole approach was. And so now I am much more aware of how much stigma and often discrimination women in bigger bodies receive when they visit their doctor Mm -hmm. and how many times medical concerns are blamed on weight when that really isn't the case and women really just struggling having their concerns actually heard by their healthcare providers because of their weight. And I wasn't really aware of all of that until I started paying attention to how it was playing out in my own life as a patient as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had a family doctor, my family doctor tell me that I had better lose some weight and to stop eating carbs and I should be just fine. And I'm like, I hadn't eaten carbs in like Lord knows how long, (laughs) right? And he was just automatically making some assumptions um, about how I live my life based on on how my, my body looked. And once I had experienced that as a patient, then I became so much more aware of how often that was happening to other women in bigger bodies in healthcare as well. Now I am much more aware and much better equipped to treat women and actually listen to their concerns because of of my own experiences that I've had as a patient. Yeah. Let's see if we can take apart the myth that being overweight at a certain degree equals less than optimal health mm-hmm. because I carry, I wouldn't say an understanding or a bias. It's just out there in the culture, just what you said. If you're going to have this much body mass index over what we think is appropriate, then you're setting yourself up for heart disease, diabetes, bad news, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that that's not necessarily the case. Can you unpack that a little? Yep, it it absolutely is not the case. So first of all, let go of the notion of BMI being measurement for anything useful, right? It absolutely is not. And we actually know that and the American Medical Association has actually released a statement in the last few months acknowledging, right? Um, So just take that measurement out, out of your mind. The second thing that's important is that yes, sometimes carrying extra fat on your body can be a risk factor for certain diseases, but only sometimes. And this is the important point to remember. And I like to use two examples. One is my own body. So I am traditionally considered overweight. However, I have perfectly normal blood pressure. My cholesterol is fantastic. My sugar levels are perfect. I have no pain. I'm very active. I have a very healthy, healthy lifestyle. And, you know, changing my weight is not going to change any of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I can also point out many thin people in my own medical practice that have diabetes, that have yeah. high blood pressure, that have chronic pain. Etc. And they're not in in bigger bodies. And so, assuming that just because you're in a bigger body, you're going to develop all of these chronic diseases is untrue. We need to look at all the parameters and who you are and how you live your life as a whole person to get that sort of information. Mm-hmm. And we can't underestimate the amount that genetics plays in all of this. Yeah, glad right? you brought that and, up. Right, and so um, I like to use the example of my husband's mother. She has a twin sister, so they're identical twins, which means they have the same genetics. One of them 
gained a lot of weight in her early 30s and that continued on. Um, she's in her early 70s now, is on multiple medications for heart disease and other things. My husband's mother took excellent care of herself, not on any medications, lived in a thinner body. Who died of a heart attack young? Mm my husband's mother, right? The one who on the outside looked like she was healthier. Right. And and so I'm not saying that you're automatically healthy if you're in a bigger body, but I'm also saying you're not automatically healthy if you're in a thin one yeah. either. It's just more complicated than that. And we have to look at all of the factors. Yeah, I just saw a monthly newsletter or something from either Yale or Princeton, I can't remember. And there was a big obesity conference. And one of the things that they said, finally, is this genetic component. They said it's a neuro, bio, physio. Like there are so many mm -hmm. contributing factors to people's bigger bodies. Then, And they actually said calories in, calories out don't work. And I'm like, I've been saying that for 20 years. Yeah. You know? We've all been saying that for 20 years, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's good that they're finally arriving at at least a broader perspective. I'm not saying they've nailed it because, of course, then right away they started talking about drugs, which you and I are going to talk about. Um, and it stands to reason that a big medical school funded by a lot of pharma companies would be talking yeah. about how drugs could solve right. the problem. But exactly. one of the most popular drugs right now is semi-gluted, the GLP-1, like Ozempic. God, if I hear mm -hmm. that commercial one more time while oh, I watch God, it. Oh, God, I know. I know all the words, the tune. It's like crazy, right? Yeah. So yesterday, I did an interview with a woman who's the consumer representative. She was on the committee that passed the first of these weight loss drugs. They were for diabetics specifically. They were only ever tested on white men, which I mm -hmm. found really interesting. And yet the populations of overweight people who might be looking for that drug as a solution are mostly Latin, Hispanic generally, Black, and women in general, women. not even whatever yeah. color, just women. You know? yep. So there's a lot wrong. Starting out of the gate, there's a lot that could go wrong. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you know? Yeah, so... These medications, as you mentioned, were initially developed for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, and they can play a very helpful role in patients with diabetes. The problem is when we started using these for weight loss specifically, we, number one, have very few studies that actually are just on people without diabetes for the purpose of weight loss only. And the studies that we do have are almost exclusively funded by the drug company that makes the oh, semaglutide. Right. So really makes you, you know, concerned. And then the third problem with the studies is that they're all short term. So we don't have any long term data on what happens to women who, who, who take this or people, not just women, um, who take this over the long term. What we do know is a few things. And here they are. Number one is side effects can be very severe and they can range from some abdominal pain and vomiting that is just a mild nuisance all the way up to pancreatitis, which is inflammation wow. of the pancreas and gallbladder problems that can result in surgeries and everything in between. Um, what I see as an emergency physician, and this is one of the things that really concerns me about this drug, is I frequently see patients with quite severe side effects from Ozempic in the emergency department who still refuse to come off the 
drug because the weight loss is so much more important than whatever misery their body has to experience to get there. And I think that really speaks to the message that our culture sends that it's important for us to be in a thinner body. Um, so that's, that's one thing. The second thing with these GLP-1 inhibitors is that Anytime we lose weight intentionally, whether it's with a drug or with a diet, we also lose muscle mass in addition to the fat mass. That is normal. But with the GLP-1s, we lose a much higher proportion of the muscle mass than we would ordinarily. And that is a problem, especially in older women, because we need the muscle mass to support our bone health and our joint health as we get older. That's one problem with this. The second problem with that is it's that muscle mass that actually supports our metabolism. Mm -hmm. And so this leads to um, the next problem with these drugs is that as soon as you stop them, the weight comes piling back on fairly quickly. And that's partly because we no longer have the muscle mass to support the metabolism when we stop the drug. It's also because when we're on the drug, we don't have any opportunity to heal our relationship with food or change the way we eat. And so we go back into old patterns of, of eating that contribute um, to weight to weight gain again in, in, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the final thing is that we are now seeing that even in patients who are taking these medications after a year, the weight starts to come back on, even if you still stay on it. Wow. And why this is so problematic is that studies also show that there is a higher correlation with that yo-yo dieting or weight cycling. So that cycle of losing weight, then gaining weight, then losing weight, then gaining weight, that is much more strongly associated with some of these chronic diseases than being at a higher weight on its own is. And so we're actually contributing to to the problem. That that's was a, a lot in there. That's but. a laundry list of reasons yeah. to yeah. Uh, perhaps forego yeah. and learn to love your body and or there are reasons to take it as well. Well, and, and there, there are reasons to take it. So um, if you do have type 2 diabetes for sure, or if you're metabolically unhealthy, and the other thing that I want to emphasize is that, yes, there is this long laundry list of complications with this drug. The point is, though, is to be very informed so that you're making an informed decision if you do choose to take this drug. And this is one of the problems that I am commonly seeing is that people are being put on this drug without being given all the information mm -hmm. about it. And so they're not really making the decision in an informed way. And I think that that's um, a failure on our part as physicians and other prescribers of this medication. Um, so I like to allow people to have, keep their own autonomy in making decisions about what they do for their body. But when it comes to Ozempic, I think that's really hard because um, people want the weight loss so badly that they're not really hearing this other side and all of the complications that can result because of it. Yeah, and certainly the commercials aren't going to tell you all of those no, and if they do not. they say it's yeah. so fast you know at the end you can't really and <laughs> I, it the, always ends in or death and i'm like I, you got me at our death okay i don't care what else right? you said yeah <laughs> yeah so I mean, my opinion i have to say honestly is you really need to look at what your goal is mm. right because why do you even want the weight loss mm -hmm. is it to have better relationships is it to get a better job is it to 
wear prettier clothing? Like, what is it? Because most of the time we can address those things without actually having to lose weight. And we know that diets don't work to begin with. 95 to 98% of them fail over the long term um, with um, more than a third of those people actually gaining more weight than what they ever lost, you know, to begin with. Um, And so can we look at a way for you to be more comfortable in your body, have more trust and appreciation for your body? And can we change your relationship with food so you feel more naturally inclined to make choices around food that's going to support your health? And then can we focus on your health and what you actually want for your life and the next few decades of your life rather than focusing on the weight loss? Yeah. As a person who has been a coach for a long time, and there was, I have run over the years weight loss courses, and I don't focus on that so much anymore. One of the things I remember when you talked about goals is people would say, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to get into this dress for my daughter's wedding. I mean, that's fine. You want to get into a different dress. And I would say, let's get rid of all the numbers. Well, Mm -hmm. I want to wear a size 12. I want to wear, it's like, what? Who made up these numbers, first of all? And the only reason I'm mentioning this is that- There are the little nuances that we could say like, oh, I love my body, but I'm not a size 12. I love my body, but I'm never going to wear those jeans again. Do you find that in your coaching, you really have to help people scrub those kinds of associations with a healthy body out? Or do you let them just have those? Yeah, so I... I think when people seek me out, they have already decided that it doesn't make sense for them to be fixated on a certain number like that, like a specific size or a specific number on the scale. But when they do, what I really like to tease out is the why, like what, how is your life going to be different when you're a size 12? Mm -hmm. How is your life going to be different when you reach that number on the scale? And what I like to point out is, you know, I know lots of people in 12 size bodies who are miserable, right? I know lots of, you know, skinny people who still also hate their body. Yeah. The work isn't to reach these external circumstances that we think are going to make us feel better because they actually never do. The work instead is to work on loving ourselves, who we are in our right now bodies, in our right now lives, so that we can continue to love ourselves as our bodies change. Because they do as we go through menopause and and out the other side, our bodies changes in ways that we feel like we have no, no control over. And if you can just accept your body, you don't even have to love it. If you can accept your body and trust that it's going to tell you how to best take care of it, there's freedom in that. So much more freedom than just being a a size 12. Yeah. I remember a coach saying, I was taking a coaching course and he said, he of course said, well, one of the exercises I find really helpful when a woman doesn't love her body is to tell her to get naked and stand in front of the mirror and say, I love my body. And I was like, Oh dear Lord, that would make me, I would, I would become anorexic or something. And it was because of my perception of my body. And I think a lot of people, you said something that reminded me of this. It's not that we have to love our bodies per se. We have to find a way to accept our body. I think love is there. Love is a possibility, but especially as we age, you're right. Mm -hmm. I have learned to really appreciate the little things that my body does, not how it looks in a pair of pants. And I think that is exactly the key. 
of what we need to do to start appreciating our bodies more. So I personally don't think it's possible to go from where I was at that conference, hating, like literally hating my body to loving it. Don't feel that that's a realistic expectation of myself. And so I started my journey doing exactly what you just said is identifying every day little things that I could be grateful for my body for allowing me to do. And there are some days where all I could be grateful was having two legs that allow me to walk around, right? And some days that's all I could say. And now I am able to look in myself in the mirror and truly appreciate what I see. But that was just absolutely not a possibility for me a number of years ago, right? It's taken me time. And the beauty of practicing just gratitude for small little parts of your body is that you want to start treating your body a little bit better when you're feeling that gratitude for it. And so I found that once I started that practice, it was easier for me to move my body more, to dress my body in ways that made sense for my body, not trying to squeeze into things that are just a little bit too small, right? Um, Made it easier for me to make decisions around food to support my health because once I started truly appreciating my body, I wanted to take care of it. Mm. And so that was an important step on my journey towards um, healing my relationship with food. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I had been away for the weekend. I was working, but it was also some fun. And I was all different kinds of food. I'm in Florida and I'm going to have fried clams and I'm going to have this. And I got halfway through the menu and I went, how am I going to feel after? Because honestly, as you get older, that one meal may linger a little bit longer than it used to. The effect, you know, <laughs> did I not sleep that well? Did I get puffy because it was salty? I still had something, but I didn't go like full bore into off the charts eating because I value how my body feels every day. Yes. And I know that if it's reacting to the point where I feel it, it's probably not doing me any good. Moments where it doesn't work. I'm going to have that extra glass of wine, whatever. Of course. At least I'm mindful. Yeah. And so one of my favorite questions to ask myself is, will this nourish me or punish me? Ah, I like that. And why I like to word it that way is because sometimes having the fried clams is what's going to nourish you, Absolutely. especially if it's because you're on a holiday and you're with loved ones and it's a beautiful evening and the sun rises over there and the clams are all kind of part part of the ex- Sometimes in an experience like that, the punishing thing to do is to sit in the corner and feel sorry for yourself as you watch everybody else enjoy the food, yeah. right? Um, and so I, I love that question because it really makes me tune in to what my needs are in the moment. Yeah. All my needs. Um, exactly. Right. Not right. And then the because we're emotional question, beings, we are feeling sentient beings. Exactly. Right. And, and food is, is more than just fuel for our body, right? It is this whole cultural piece. And so sometimes having the food is the right choice. The second question though, that I asked myself is exactly what you pointed out is how am I going to feel about this when I go to bed at night? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's not worth it if I know that I'm going to go to bed feeling very bloated and get heartburn and not sleep well, and then it affects my day tomorrow. And, you know, so I, I ask myself these questions and the answers that I get very rarely steer me wrong. And Mm -hmm. it turns out that most of the time, maybe eating those fried clams are not going to be the answer for me, but every once in a while, that's going to be a yes. The nourishing thing for me to do right now is, is to, is to eat those clams. Right. 
Clams have never had been in the spotlight so much before on a podcast. And they just were. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I have a couple of last um, questions. How, when you work with a patient, a client, not a patient, when you have a coaching client, mm-hmm. do you, do you advise off of social media or, you know, outside influences are very noisy these days. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. And like you said, we've already talked about how people see us when we're in a different body but I find that um, for a lot of clients of mine, even if they're not, it's not a weight loss question, it's a life question. Mm-hmm. I tell them to think about everything is food, what they hear, mm-hmm. what they read. And social media to me, they talk about teens and social media. I think women at any age and social media can be thrown off course if they're trying to mm-hmm. make a good, healthy t- choice for themselves. What do you say? Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. I don't think it's realistic to ask people to stay off social media. It's too much a part of our, you know, social fabric these days. But I do think we each have to take responsibility for how we curate our social media feeds. Mm. And so I fully support unfollowing people, whether they be family members or influencers, to unfollow the ones that make you feel bad about yourself, Mm. right? And so ask that same question. Does it nourish me or does it punish me to follow this particular person on, on social media? And really try to find people to follow on social media that are in line with your values and that share a, you know, a similar purpose and who look like you mm-hmm. as well, right? So if you happen to live in a bigger body, then find some positive people in bigger bodies to, to follow on social media. And then the second piece of advice that I like to give is just be the example, So show your full messy self on social media. You don't have to show your perfectly curated photoshopped moments all the time is, you know, show up as yourself on social media and show others just how rich it can be to be fully human rather than this perfected version of yourself on social media. Yeah, that certainly leaves a lot more time for enjoying life because I, it takes a lot of time to do all that make look good thing for pictures and for reels. And I was, I used to sit in this office in my chair and read from some, I read a lot of books and some of it's really interesting, I think to other people about just science and the body and this and that. And I was, I had a young person that I hired to do social media and she said, these are great, but you're just like sitting in a chair reading. And I said, exactly. And that's all you're getting from me because I'm not going to, she said, we could go outside. You could take your phone outside. I said, but I'm not going to do that. I just know myself. Right. Even if you're not a coach or, you know, a business person, if you're just showing up for friends and family on social media, I'm telling you, people appreciate it when you just show up as you in all your, you know, perfectly imperfect humanness, because that's that's what we want to relate to at the end of the day. So when you show up as yourself and that's how I am, too, I just sit down in this exact chair for my (laughs) social media reels as well. Um, People just appreciate the, the humanness when you show up as yourself. Yeah. And I like what you said. Find people that look like you. Find people that make you feel good in your feed. I've started to, I don't even know what you call it on Instagram, unfollow, or I don't know how I got them out of my feed. But there's a lot of talk about you should be doing this kind of exercise if you're 50 and over. You should consider that and you should, should, should. And I'm thinking one size fits all has never been the right prescription. I'm sorry. I just decided that it wasn't for me to, and I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. 
So tell us what kind of coaching offerings you have, Michelle. Mm-hmm. So I offer two things. Um, I have a small group coaching program for women who struggle with binge eating or emotional eating uh, specifically. And that's a three-month small group, four to five women um, and me um, that meet every week um, for those three months. I also have another group called um, Nourish Yourself, Body and Mind, which is another three-month program specifically for women who just want to heal their relationship with food and start approaching health from a weight neutral perspective. So Mm. rather than using weight loss as a way to improve blood pressure or hypertension or whatever else, we look at what other healthy strategies can we employ in your life to help you gain that health or whatever other goal that you have. And then that's, that's three months as well. I love that. Well, this has been a really enlightening and interesting conversation. I appreciate your point of view and I appreciate your being out there in the world for women. Thank you. Because heaven knows we need more of you and more voices. uh, I don't want to say allowing, inviting people into the conversation of you're okay, no matter what your body is or looks like. And don't make yourself wrong because they say it's like the aging thing. Uh, we're supposed Ugh. to age out or age into senescence. Right. Sorry, not happening, right? But we not have happening. to be, we, people like you and I, and listeners, if you have a platform, even if it's within your own friend circle, mm-hmm. um, help us bust the myths about these kinds of things because they're damaging. And I imagine, speaking of health, that the stress of hating your body and worrying about it every single minute has got to take have an impact on your physiology, your health. it does. And that is just the unfortunate irony of all of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. That the more we worry about our health, the worse our health becomes. Oh, gosh. Well, that's a great place to end. So people stop worrying and start loving yourself. Michelle, thank you again for being here. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Hey, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed that episode. And I thank you for listening. I'd love to connect with you on social media if you happen to play over there on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at RebelWell50. LinkedIn, of course, is my name. And on TikTok, just look for the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 page. And I look forward to connecting. You know, this is a big year of connection for us. This is how we get through tough times is being in community with like-minded people. And if you're a listener, I believe we are.